Hey, everybody. Welcome to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Apologizing for our segue music right off the bat. You know, we've been talking about rebranding the show for a while, and uh, we were like, we were really digging what you were playing on 216.net here. Yeah, I'm going to roll it. What do you think about this? Yeah. Okay, here's the test. Here's the test. See, see, I'm liking that more. Yeah, but but this was this is for someone else now. Well, it is, we but we can find something. Change your note, Steve. Change uh, your note in there. Well, let's let's do the inner sandwich. Hey, because that's not proprietary, right? Who cares? That got us kicked <laughs> off of Facebook. Yeah, but we're not on Facebook. <laughs> oh, we are. I mean, we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we literally are. Exactly. We are on Facebook <laughs> and all of your favorite podcast providers. Anyway, my name is Dave Gadini here in studio today with Kent Jones producing Steve Wells and Andrew Metcalf. This is the podcast where we invite you to text in questions that you have, um, things that you're wrestling with, struggling with, coming up against, don't really know where to turn on, maybe afraid to ask and don't know where to ask to begin with. Questions specifically relating to God, Christianity, how it compares to other belief systems, religions, and worldviews, um, how to put it into play, questions of spirituality, questions of life application, questions of how to navigate the Bible. Questions of Jesus and, and everything in between, maybe even just questions about your local practice and why they do what they do and how to make sense of it all. You can text your questions in to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. If you're with us on Facebook, you can post your questions right in the comments. Facebook connect through fellowshipoffaith.org or 216thenet. You know, right before we came on today, we realized Andrew has never heard of the nuclear clock. No. Andrew's giving a um, a prediction here that in 24 months, it's oh, all yeah. going to be gone, right? I, that, that's I, what yeah. you're saying for max time, right? For me, at least. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not a survivalist, so I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I think people would be curious to know from what. I was not a Boy Scout, so. No, no, no. And, uh, and that's going to be the end of it right the there. Who's ever been a Boy Scout? You know, they're, they're, they're surviving the Boy nuclear. Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America. They're taking over. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? What's the day look like? The, on that the, the day? end, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm saying that's the that's the that's the furthest we can make it. Mm. That's the furthest. So yeah. could okay. So then, we're going to mark this April 5th, 2023, 2020. and we got to see if we're still here having the show on April 5th, 2025. All right, and okay. uh, and I think I think you need to put stakes on this, Andrew. All right, what happens if if we are still here two years from today, and this has not come true? Lunch for us. Lunch for us and singing right for after, you. Right after I think the show. Definitely some pies. Those little pies were <laughs> Okay, little little pies. But, I'll bring pie for everybody. But, but see, the pies aren't going to benefit our <laughs> listeners here. I mean, what, what, what are you going to bring them in this? Uh, nothing. <laughs> an, an original piece, a song. Uh, new, uh, music. We'll new, have, music. We'll new music. New music. New intro music then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, so the, uh, the nuclear clock, it actually came out of the late 40s, right after. Uh, um, U.S. dropped the two. Uh, thanks, Kent. Right after U.S. dropped the two bombs on uh, Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki, and basically it was a bunch of think tank people who got together trying to estimate the danger factor in the world of nuclear holocaust. And midnight is nuclear war, so they right. time midnight. Yeah, oh. so they time everything to midnight. And the farther you are from midnight, the safer they're arguing the world is at that point. <clears throat> so we are. Uh, we looked it up. We are 90 seconds to midnight right now, which sounds really, really like, oh my gosh. But I think it's always within like two minutes of midnight. Kent, do you know, has it ever been less than or more than two minutes away from midnight since not, 1948? No, not that I'm aware. Okay. So yeah. this is basically like a 
level like are we level three <clears throat> level four level five that's kind of the, the you got it using time you got it that. okay yeah. that makes more sense then. yeah so, so if I've you're heard like the two minutes to midnight before yeah, yeah and if you're like eight race. seconds to midnight then like oh my gosh if you're one second to midnight really oh my gosh if you're like point oh eight seconds to midnight you know i mean i don't know how far they'll parse this right. thing down but gotcha. i thought you meant yeah. like today actually was like the day in 90 seconds midnight yeah <laughs> No, 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 no. So, so why would they use yeah. time to that that's the wrong meter, like meter, metric meter? What is that? Measurement. The, yeah, the wrong <laughs> measurement. Because time is already a thing. You should say like we're 50% These tech there. Guys. Yeah, I, know. I don't know. Time <laughs> Andrew's not buying this thing. So, yeah. so the question then would be though, if that's the case, well, let's just say that's two years, like you you give it 24 months, but also hypothetically. What if we knew the exact day that Jesus was coming, mm -hmm. right? So my question then would be, how different would your life be at this point or in the months to come? Like, let's say Jesus comes in 24 months. Mm -hmm. What does that do to you? Mm -hmm. Quitting my job at the church for Are sure. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving those suckers behind. Yeah, forget them. Because well, there's nothing about that work that would be honoring to you, Lord I know, Christ. I know, right? <laughs> I'm going to get mine. <laughs> but I, I mean, people people who are you know diagnosed with cancer say you got less than six months to yeah. live. Yeah. You know, they go out and do things. They you know do the bucket list and you know. So yeah. I would guess if that was the case, uh, that's how I would live. Like, oh, all right, giddy up. It's funny, though, because a lot of people, I think, have the opposite kind of impression. They would be like, oh, I got to clean my life up, yeah. you know, because because I'm going to be Christ. So I better be, you know, I better be right. squeaky clean when he comes. Yeah. And we're just like, eh, no, Andrew's doing his bucket list. Ken's doing his <laughs> bucket list. Steve's moved to New Orleans. Bye. <laughs> I need Dave, beads. Dave's, <laughs> Dave's running Holy Dave. Week by himself. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little help the COVID here. Holy Week. <laughs> right. And yeah, right. Very right, strange. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And and I know every, every one of us knows and maybe are one uh, a procrastinator to the point to where it's like they probably wouldn't uh, change a thing until like four, four hours. To yeah, the right. Game. You know, just right. to make sure you have time to get things in line. Yeah. Like, okay. Am I, am I saved? Yeah. Am I saved? Am I mean, I think saved? of every homework assignment you've ever had or even work assignment, <clears throat> right? You know, you know, it's this state. You start that morning or the night before. Yeah, but that, my philosophy was if I only have two hours to write this paper, it'll only take two hours. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if I started it two weeks ago, it would have taken, two I could weeks. have put 10 you, hours You just fill the time. And yeah. I still got A's, so it worked. Hey, uh, <laughs> the, thief, the thief on the cross walked into paradise with Christ's. He was a thief. He didn't so, get, he wasn't baptized, didn't get confirmed, <laughs> you know, did none of it. <laughs> And so he just believed, gave him faith, right? I guess. Not that we're rec necessarily recommending that. Yeah, no, don't go out stealing stuff. <laughs> no, <laughs> Andrew, I would say I am recommending faith. I actually think yeah, no. that, that is a good thing, you know? <laughs> I meant last minute. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't just go out stealing stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, it worked for him. That's the way to Jesus. <laughs> well, you have to have, to have to, you have to have something to repent from, for, yeah. right? So, like, live it up. I mean, you don't want to feel pretentious at Judgment Day, you know? Right? You watch many of these shows on this station. I've got a lot to remember. I mean, we should for. sin all the more. And yes, Paul says because, by no means. Yes, that? because your forgiveness means more the more you sin. Oh. You see? Oh, sure. That's my motto. <laughs> We're going to run a That's segment me. on this show called Bad Advice from Steve. Yes. You know, just. <laughs> so I get a tattoo called Faith Life. Well, I got that because we were talking earlier in the green room, and that's what Dave was saying. <clears throat> that's how he lives his life. <laughs> yeah. 
the more I'm for, just the more spewing words of what you what came out of your mouth. Yeah, 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 sure, As we were course, eating pies yeah. and stuff from the green room. <laughs> no, but I think end of the world definitely nukes are involved and AI is involved for mm. sure. So you really have the Terminator kind of ending. Uh, I don't know that I don't think there'll be a a physical representation of AI. I think it's just going to cripple the infrastructure. Okay, everything is connected to the internet. Everything is controlled by computers. You'll okay, see, you'll see yeah. Trump and Putin riding bareback, shirtless. Ah, it'd be it'd be G, G Jinping, G Jinping, and North Korea. That's it. and Iran. Well, we hate to break this to you on today's show, but we do make mistakes every now and then. What? And we, I, I know, I know, it's kind of unprecedented. Uh-huh. But we, uh, we, we have a, uh, I'd call it a question. It's really more of a comment coming off probably last week's show. We Let me just read this checked. here. We got fact, fact checked. checked. And, and we, we, we go on record right now. Uh-huh. We apologize for leading you astray on this point last week. But here's what it says. This is my understanding of what David Lee Roth would request at every concert. He would ask for a bowl of M&Ms with all the red ones removed. The first thing he would do upon arriving at a new concert site is go into his dressing room and look in the bowl. When he saw um, the detail of no red ones, he would be confident every other aspect and all the other details of the concert preparation were correct. It wasn't Sammy Hagar or Van Halen, but David Lee Roth. Well, you know, we have not had a chance to fact check this kind of correction on the show, but... Um, since we're not going to, um, if we led you astray, we, we, we our apologies to uh, Sammy Hagar. Right. Y- you know, if we uh, we well, mischaracterized you here. Here's what I think. Well, we well, he was do. also in Van Halen. <clears throat> he, he was in Van so Halen. So we had the band right. We had the band right. That makes sense. Yeah. Did we well, have he's, the... he's down in Mexico, right? Sammy Hagar. Yeah. Sammy Hagar. Yeah. Yeah. If you so say I, so, I don't know. I, I'm gonna probably I'm gonna propose something that we probably <clears throat> should uh, apologize in person. We we should. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I'll see if I can expense those. Can you? Yeah. Could you make that happen? can take care of that Thanks. all right all right Since well, thank, here. You, Since thank you here. That, that, that's that's good of you he's always got our back he does he <laughs> does <laughs> we're at the station you might be getting on mine for that trip uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well jesus came riding in on a donkey uh, <laughs> that boy as my wife called me never mind <laughs> uh, you know i think we should have a completely off the wherever we're going right now which i have no idea <laughs> we're we're off the beaten path we need sure. to have a, a a questions you never thought your pastor would ask Ooh. okay so i've got to come up with questions right. and an air like my yeah uh-huh deep dark dirty yeah. questions or something right. like that yeah. Steve right. and I'll answer from them. the yeah. you and steve answer them. yeah and then yeah. we'll no we'll just make fun of you oh okay that, that works too <laughs> that yeah. was stupid now. <laughs> oh my god why would you even ask that question <laughs> How many times are you going to get up and go to the bathroom yeah. during my sermon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could keep a tally. I could keep a tally. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good call. I bet you've got some questions. I've got some questions. Probably questions that we wouldn't expect either. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But we will leave you in Can't suspense on those for a themed show of that's Steve's right. Desire. I, I know the, I, I don't, I don't know if this is your question, but I know both of your, all of your kids have said this before about the writing in the sand yeah. Jesus. So I don't know if that came from you and that has been passed down. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, that's what I would ask. Well, I thought your chance actually kids. got a great. Yeah. No. What, what was the question? Uh, when, when they're trying to stone the woman caught in adultery and Jesus yeah. writes in the sand. Yeah. Like, what did he write? So, uh, I think we talked about it once, but it doesn't, yeah. it, it doesn't matter because the, 
Oh, the, I agree. The, the, com- the commandments, the commandments are written. No, but here's why: with the finger of God, right? So when he wrote, they saw the finger of God, right, which was the law, and that's gotcha. where they go. Oh boy! So it wasn't mm. what he wrote; it was how he wrote it. Yeah. See, I didn't hear what is that, happening right? by his act of writing right. might be what the story is about. Yeah. yeah. I heard he was just zoning out and really just kind of doodling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, did you say something? Playing hangman, oh. anyone? Yeah. <laughs> because because we all made Jesus like kind of a projection of ourselves, right? right. It's like that's what I would be doing. Right. So the crowd just got bored and left. Right. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> we have butchered so many. Bible stories today. <laughs> well, we're testing the audience to see That's... if they actually are on their game. It is it is halftime of Holy Week, though. It is halftime of Holy right. Week. We are coming in. So uh well for those of you not of the Christian background and, and uh, you know the Christian tradition, tomorrow's a holiday called Monday Thursday or Holy Thursday, depending on your flavor. Good Friday is this Friday. We go into uh, Holy Saturday, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, some churches will practice that, and then Easter Sunday. Basically, it commemorates a week. It's the week that changed history. It's the week that Jesus came into Jerusalem. You can read about this in all four Gospels. And all the events unfolded that led to his death and resurrection. It all happened in an eight-day period from Palm Sunday to good, or rather from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And uh, Christians around the world are celebrating this right now in various kinds of ways, remembering these days, kind of rooting themselves in what Jesus did for us on those days. We actually have some questions relating to some of these holidays. They come around this time of year all the time. Um should we jump in? Yeah. All right. What do we got here in the inbox about, today? I'm looking at this first one. It's not specifically about Easter, but I think it, it can relate. Uh, we'll make it relate. Uh, I've always thought of the Gospels as eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, and John were disciples of Jesus, correct? Uh, but what about Luke? Did he ever meet Jesus? If not, is his gospel account as credible? Yeah, great question. And I think a lot of these questions about which uh, the credibility of the Bible and is it trustworthy and are certain parts more trustworthy than others? I mean, they're, they're fantastic questions. Thanks for asking. So a little bit of clarification here. Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus in the strict sense of, I think, which this uh, question asker is proposing, meaning eyewitness followers of Jesus. Mark was not. Mark uh, may have been a follower of Jesus, but not one of the 12 in the way people typically think. He may have been numbered among the 72 or had some other kind of FaceTime with Jesus that we can get to in a little bit. Um, And um, Luke was not either. Luke was actually a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And um, basically, from the earliest historic records that we have on the sources of the gospel, Mark was actually uh, more of a, a scribe for Peter believe it or not. And Mark is really recording Peter's account of what happened if these early sources are to be believed. So half of them certainly are coming from eyewitness followers. The other half, uh, not arguably. Um, There is some speculation that Mark um, may have wrote himself into his own gospel at the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we're talking Monday, Thursday. This is where Jesus goes to pray because he's always going to arrested and the guards come to arrest him. And, and when they do all his disciples flee and Mark includes this one little detail that there's this young man who, who the guards kind of take hold of and he slips out of his like cloak and his clothes. And it says he flees naked, you know, kind of rips himself out of them trying to grab him. None of the other gospels have this. And there's some speculation that that's like Mark, you know, IDing himself in the story. Eh, Maybe who knows, but when it comes to credibility, I don't think you need to base this on eyewitness testimony. 
And um, let me just kind of frame this by something that's kind of a no-brainer that I think people will identify with today. Think of how many autobiographies are written, but how many of those autobiographies are written actually by a biographer? So the biographer sitting with the person who's telling the story, and then they are compiling it. Likewise, think of how many autobiographies um, are limited in their perspective because it's coming solely from that person's vantage point as opposed to other biographies that are done where the person is collecting multiple sources and multiple points of data, not just the eyewitness. Well, Luke is very forward on this going, I have gone about because there's a lot of accounts out there collecting the best eyewitness sources and the best accounts out there. And so you get more of that historian biographer thing through Luke, which I think has just as much credibility as a singular eyewitness source um, and likewise to the rest. So I, I wouldn't pit the Gospels against each other in terms of credibility from the earliest days. Early, the, the first Christians saw them as, as, as being the authoritative accounts of what Jesus did, even though there is discrepancies at times between the Gospels. They held each four of them to be so valuable and to be so credible that they would rather adopt all four with the discrepancies than try to pit them against each other so yeah luke is strong hang on to him you said vantage point and that reminded me there's a movie called vantage point that came out in 2008 and it's very good but it's that whole concept they tell the story from one point of view and then shift to another point of view and then shift to another point oh, of that's view. cool and that's how yeah. you finally figure out what's happening okay so okay if you need a movie to watch vantage point. dennis quaid <clears throat> dennis quaid, oh, dennis quaid. Like vantage dennis point. Quaid. yeah all right you all know right. you should do you Nothing should do with anything you should uh have Mark one day of of whenever you want to choose with your family, with your 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 immediate family. So, so like April fifth of twenty twenty five, and the kids, right? Okay, and they should write their own gospels about you. Okay, for the day. And okay, just see how different they come out the next day when you read them. Yeah, be kind of interesting. Yeah, it would be. It would be in your entire life, or just that? No, just day? the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a short little thing. Literally. Yeah, because no practice. one wants to devote that much time to it. I was like, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if you could write that in a day. They honestly don't care that much. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, but you know, I'm with you because it would be fascinating to see how you get very different yep. perspectives yep. on uh, different episodes or even different perspectives on the same event. And that's certainly what you see in the Gospels. We should have done that for our pilgrimage. Hmm, how People, would you have done it? What well, do I'm just saying, like, we could have told everyone, like, okay, now that it's over, write mm -hmm. down what your experience was. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. That would have been cool and kind of make like a... Because we kind of got one. You read it to us. Yeah. You know, then that yeah. was kind of neat. Yeah. So anyway. so what we do at Fellowship of Faith is we have a pilgrimage every year on Palm Sunday. And what we mean by that is we just encourage people to walk to church. Certainly it pales in comparisons to some of the great pilgrimages people have done through history, but it's our way of like kind of taste testing it, so to speak, and uh, trying to revive the, the memory at least of a biblical practice. And it's become like this huge thing at our church where, where, where some people really like embrace it hardcore. Um, some walking throughout the night, you, you know, uh, tens, twenties of miles, you know, things like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We just had it this past Sunday. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. All right. All right. Uh, someone, I don't know who, someone was saying that Easter began as a pagan holiday and that it's named after some goddess. Uh, I've heard stuff like this before and it always shakes me a little bit. Is it true? Uh, great question. You know, th this, this comes up every single 
Easter, especially if you watch something on like the History Channel or Discovery or you, you read like what Time or Newsweek or, you know, those kinds of publications are putting out there. There's always going to be like the secret story behind Easter and like, you know, we're like the, the, the true life expose thing that we're going to debunk it or something like that. Um, so so great question. Thanks for asking. I understand that this often shakes people the first time they hear it and you don't have to be shaken. Let me go. Um, let me give you some explanation of what's being said and why it doesn't matter. So, there is an Anglo-Saxon goddess, and I never know how to pronounce these Anglo-Saxon words correctly, but it's her, her name would be pronounced something like, you know, Eostre or Eorste or something like that, like E-O-Umlau, double schwa, you know, whatever, S-T-R-E with a bunch of squigglies. You can look it up and, and see it, something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you get like Eorste or something like that. Um, no, this isn't fabricated. There's a, there's a monk named Bede um, from the, the, the 7th and 8th century AD. You know, when you think in the monastic era in the Middle Ages, they're keeping Christianity alive. And, and I forget if he's coming out of Gaul or if he's coming out of the Brit, probably the British Isles, obviously. Um, and, and he writes about this and how the, the, the local people are, are worshiping this, this, this goddess, part of their pagan rituals named Eorste. And there's, there, there's similarity in paganism um, in all belief systems. And I'll, and I'll share where the name you can find in other belief systems. Um, Ishtar is, is, is an Egyptian goddess. Ashtara is a Canaanite goddess. You'll often find Ashtara in the Bible, the, the, the consort of Baal. And, and, and you'll find her popping up in other belief systems. And she's basically like a fertility goddess. So there's a lot of spring worship going on around her and stuff like that. And the uh, the accusation is made that um, what, 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 what Easter is doing is nothing more than taking this pagan holiday and turning it into their own resurrection myth. Here's the fundamental problem with it. No one in the early church called it Easter. We didn't start calling it Easter to like 1000 AD. So the first 10 centuries, this wasn't even on the grid. Uh, Easter really isn't even called Easter in liturgical churches, if you get into it. We call it Easter in just kind of a casual way because that's how people identify with it. But if you get into like the church and the history and the liturgical practice, they don't call it Easter. They call it Resurrection Day or they call it um, the Paschal Feast. And that's what the original Christians called it. They called it Pascha. Pascha is a derivative of Pesach. And Pesach is how you say Passover or what we interpret as the holiday of Passover in Hebrew, right? So Pesach, you could hear Pascha come out of it. They would call it the Paschal Feast. And they would call it that because Easter is intimately tied up with Passover. It's dating, it's occurrence, and, and the entire thing. Your church would just celebrate the Paschal Feast. We're here to celebrate Jesus' betrayal, death, and resurrection that roots itself to Passover, any import of the word Easter is something that came much, much later. And it's arguable that it takes its name from this pagan goddess. But even if it does, who cares? This is the same thing Christians did with Christmas, adopting December 25th as the day they would celebrate Jesus' birth. But it had nothing to do with the pagan understanding of the day it was arguably at most just taking a day people were already celebrating 
and repackaging it or baptizing it going, no, let's not make this day about the worship of this goddess. Let's instead make this day about the worship of Jesus Christ who brings true life and not the false pagan promise of life. But even if we were to go down that path, that's even difficult in itself because a lot of other people go, ah, we don't think that it's coming from that at all. By the way, that theory, I find this stuff interesting, was popularized by, uh, you know, like uh, um, Jacob Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, the Grimm <laughs> brothers, like Grimm fairy tales. Yeah. Well, they were, uh, everyone thinks that they were fairy tale writers. They're not. They were linguists. And what they were doing was trying to collect the old folklore and tales and, and language of the early Anglo-Saxon and early Germanic and Teutonic writings specifically as a way of preserving old language forms. A lot of other people look at the old Teutonic and go, we don't think it should go that way. We think it actually relates to a different old Teutonic word. And that old Teutonic word is Esther, E-S-T-E-R. And Esther in Old German or Teutonic is how you would say first. And there was a day or a thing, a word that they had that was um, Estherstehen, which meant the first standing or the first rising. And over time, it became, uh, in today's German, more or less the word for resurrection. Um, and so it might actually be deriving its meaning from that and nothing to do with the pagan goddess at all. So... Why do I give you all these details? For one specific reason. Because you said, I've heard stuff like this before, and it always shakes me a bit. And what I have found is that, get, is that people get shaken when they don't know the facts. And if you know the facts, what people accuse or insinuate becomes far less scary because they give you one possible fact and start creating an entire worldview around it. And you're just like, well, I don't even know how to respond to this. Well, a lot of people choose to respond by sticking their head in the sands and ignoring stuff like that. And just going, I believe, I believe, I believe. I've never found that satisfactory in my own faith life. Um, and that's why I do a show like this. Is because there are a lot of things uh, circulating out there. That, that sounds scary or that are confusing or that people are insinuating. And you just don't have to be afraid by them if you drill down and learn what's really going on. So hopefully that helps you. And hopefully it keeps you grounded in what Easter has always been about, the resurrection of Jesus. And the eggs. <laughs> right. Well, because while you were going through that whole story, I was really trying to tie the two together in my mind. And I'm thinking, here's a hypothetical, right? So Jesus goes to the cross, they bury him or they put him in the tomb and he's thinking, you know, because he's God. So he's already been there and he's, and he sees what the future holds. Right. So he's thinking, okay, there's going to be eggs and candy in the future that come from a bunny. And so he's probably, here's, here's how I think it actually went mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that, so when he then went to heaven and the resurrection happened, he was like, I don't want it to be mistaken that, that someone just took me out of here because I mean, they could have, right? They could have rolled the tomb away. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave a bunny in, in the tomb. And in that bunny, the bunny's going to lay an egg. And inside that egg's going to have candy. And they're probably going to think to themselves, like, there would have been no one else that could have done this but the God of everything. No one else could have could have gotten away with that, right? So this was underneath, like, the burial cloth? Yeah. There was a well, bunny. There's a, correct. Bunny, okay. Right. 
a bunny there with an egg there with treats inside of it. There you go. That is that's where that my mind is a went. Fascinating. All it's right, a, journey into Steve's mind here. Yeah. <laughs> what was the egg made out of though? Because plastic didn't exist yet. Uh, I mean, it's it like could have could have been a real egg, and that's yeah. why yeah. Money. even more you know yeah. that's incredible. Why I suppose magicians pull them out of a hat because bomb. There's the see. Look how it's far we can. Not only that, but Steve didn't even say this, but it was a goat egg. Could have been a goat egg. Goat egg, maybe a sheep egg. Well, there's debate on that. There's debate on that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) now you know how my mind works (laughs) so sad next on next level Uh, anyway moving on to something a little more because you guys clearly had this look like (laughs) michelle what? Wait, what are you talking about? Left I, I feel like everything that we do to try to help people on the show, Steve just undoes. I do. You know, like in a matter well, of moments. I want them to know what it is, why they need to have a reason for what it is they believe. So you better be solid in that because we're, it's a very blurred world. <laughs> Questions you never thought you could ask in church. Yeah. What's going through yeah. Steve's mind up there? Yeah. While <laughs> you know what I love about it though, Steve? Oh, what, what I absolutely love about it yeah. is, is is what's sad is it, it seems like so much re- religious speculation and theory that is actually out there yeah. is really nothing more than what you just right. did. Right. You know, someone just coming up with something that's either funny, sarcastic, or sounds good to them, or ties things together, all these loose ends and some nonsensical it works. way. But now it makes and, sense why you yeah. pull them out of a hat. That's the resurrection. <laughs> for no other reason because we have to be able to put this to something as far as why we're out there looking for eggs filled with candy that came from a bunny when did that start well that's my point well a- uh, honestly uh, a lot of theory is that a lot of that egg imagery it actually comes out of more of the pagan practices around the fertility worship of Estore and other people like that and uh I don't know enough to go much deeper than that, but I but I've seen that brought up a number of times. Just like Yule logs and Christmas trees have their own pagan origins and were adopted by Christians into just you know life practice on the holiday, right? It feels like Christians haven't co-opted anything in a while. We, like we, we, we need to co yeah. It's time know. to co-opt something. I don't know what. All right. We've done trees, we've done eggs, we've done All right. anybody has any ideas. We've done bread well, and sure. filming. We've uh, done swimming, yeah. baptism, we take yeah. that out. So what's what's next? Honestly, I think if we could look from God's perspective, we'd be insanely blown away at how much stuff that we've co-opted without realizing it. You True. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The Super Bowl now. We took that over. The one commercial. I'm sure. He gets us. Yeah. He gets us. Um, we actually have a lot of Facebook comments today. Yeah. So give a couple shout outs to people. Yeah. I saw one earlier, something about the shirt that you're wearing, Dave. Yeah. Dave, you're wearing a, the pilgrimage shirt. Did you walk? Walked from my car into the studio today. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> you know, I didn't wear this on Sunday because you know I didn't earn it. You, you know, it's I, I didn't walk. I blew up I, my back a couple weeks ago and I'm still kind of on I didn't a, either. You know, I didn't do it. I yeah. wore a shirt, but I also did not walk. But I, I, I'm glad you wore a shirt for Palm Sunday. I did wear a green jacket. I wore a green jacket. Did you? Well, I mean, it's palms. Right? It's palms. I, I see. I had St. Patrick's Day in my I mind. Say, I thought you were thought just you were... late for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Got to be better than that. Yeah, but shout out to Tina. Shout out to Chris, Kelly, Michelle. Thank you for joining us here online today. Jen's Glad to have you um, with us um, um, for Trinity and Jen. We got Jen back with us today. Great to have you with us. And uh, Michelle says, wait, there's a name left behind? Yes, there was Michelle. <laughs> the new it's series, in the, the footnotes in the message, it's the left down. So I'm series. looking forward to this. But you know, this Sunday we're uh, um, you, you know we're doing egg your neighbor is part of our Easter celebration. 
at. Uh, I was hoping you would lead into that from my story. Yeah, I was. Trying yeah, to set we're, you we're, up. yeah, yeah. Good yeah. setup. Good nice. setup. You know, we're we're in sync here, Steve. We're in sync. Yeah, egg your yeah. neighbor in a completely legal, non-destructive way. So yeah. tell me about egg your neighbor. What's you got to come. You got to well, come. I probably won't be there. Ah, uh, shoot, shoot. It's a big one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two of them, two just, of them, actually. Three of them. We did it off, you know. We'll just sit there and hum. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or wait. <laughs> All right. Well, we have one more. Uh, maybe Chris. Uh, it could be an Easter question. I I don't we'll make know anything if, an Easter question. I don't wondering. know if this is a sincere question or sarcasm. Okay. So I like I'll that explain even more. afterwards. Um. Wondering if you know if it is a myth or there's some truth about a village <laughs> that is a suburb of Jerusalem. I once read that in the town of Hebron, a suburb of a town of Hebron, Hebron suburb of Jerusalem has a tomb. In the tomb is the remains of the bodies of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Have you heard of it? And is it true? Well, so in, hold on. Go okay, okay. I do think this is actually correct <laughs> because we're seeing it today. There is a place. A, a suburb you could say chicago is kind of like jerusalem right sure so a suburb which which could be hebron the actual hebron but the tomb actually looks like a a, a water tower that has a basketball <laughs> on top of it. but that actually but strangely actually, has like 1952 right on it. So yeah. basketball was rolled away right <laughs> and there's a bunny inside and there is a bunny inside <laughs> sitting on an egg that has delicacies in it so for those who don't know Hebron is a town outside of Chicago. Very small town, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Chicago, up on the Wisconsin border. I happen to live outside of that town, hence why someone might be doing this. But no, it is named after Hebron in um, the Middle East. Okay. And th th there is a small town called Hebron outside of Jerusalem, and it actually has a lot of uh, biblical importance, hence why you'll find towns throughout United States, there's a Hebron, Indiana, and I'm sure there's other Hebrons as well. I've noticed Nebraska, they're, they're there Hebron, Nebraska. Yes. What is it with Midwest towns that they all Small like borrow town. the exact same names? Yeah. You know, there's like 18 Springfields. There's all these Decaturs. There's there's Hebrons all over the place. Eagle. But it's it's being named after a biblical town, and this was the place of um, like the question asker asks Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, possibly Joseph's bones buried there as well later on. Um, now, I don't think anyone knows where the actual tomb is. I'm sure if you go there today, there's places purporting to be that original tomb. Um, I always get a little skeptical on some of that stuff. But yeah, yeah, this is the place where, you know, Abraham and Sarah and all them were buried. So the bigger question yes, I have legit. is, are they all buried in one tomb? <clears throat> Probably. Probably because as you read Genesis, it was a family tomb. And then you're going, how does that work, right? Because yeah. now you're wondering. a long time between Abram and Joseph. Yeah, yeah. and so this is even, uh, let me fast forward a little bit because burial practices are not the same in every culture and every day and generation. So let me just fast forward to the time of Jesus. And this is a really cool archaeological find, but not in the too distant past, maybe the last five, arguably most 10 years, I want to say, they actually found the burial box of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that you'll see mentioned in the gospel stories. And you're like, what's a burial box? Well, this is what they would do. Think of the story of Jesus, right? He died. They wrap him in these, 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 these burial cloths and these ointments, right? These spices. And then they lay him in a tomb. And you think that's the end of the story, but it's not for most people because what you would do is about a year later, you would come back 
and everything would be basically rotten away to bones. And then you would collect those bones and you would put them in what's called an ossuary or an ossuary. And it's basically like this burial box. Think like a giant urn, but a box. And it's not ashes, but you'd put bones in it. And you'd put the person's bones in it. And then you'd kind of shelve it up on the wall in the tomb. And the tomb is available for use for more bodies. And you would just do your whole family that way. And, you know, my literal nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) But think about it this way. How many people do cremation? And maybe instead of spreading the ashes, you're just continuing to bury those ashes in the same place that family members before you have been buried. Doesn't feel as creepy. That way, maybe slightly less creepy, less creepy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's probably where we're heading, anyway. I mean, we're we're running out of of space, right? I don't know, man. I've been to Nebraska; it's pretty wide open. It is, (laughs) but you can't just start, you know, planting people in cornfields and tilling them. I suppose you could. I suppose could. Why couldn't you? But how are you going to visit them again? Does anyone visit next year? They're going to be beans. Does anyone visit? (laughs) (laughs) Then you can eat it. It's a circle of life. I add so much to this show. <laughs> so much value. I don't know who's defining value, but so much value. Mm-hmm. So you bring. Um, let's see. One about about Lutheran specifically. Ooh. Feels good for this show. Feels Lutherans. like a good topic. Uh, what do the Protestants say, especially the Lutherans, about what happens to our soul in the time between when we die and the second coming of Christ? Uh, the Catholic church says we go to purgatory where our sins keep us, uh, while prayers can lessen our time there. What are, what are pastor's thoughts on the concept of purgatory? Okay. So there's a lot here. Yeah. And let me start with where there is agreement and then I will give the different roads and interpretive paths for you. Everyone believes in the concept of purgatory. Not necessarily as a place, though, because purgatory is basically uh, the idea of purgation, that we need to be purged. That's all purgatory means, purging, all right? And there's an idea that all of us are tainted with sin, and all of us need to be purged or cleansed, if you will, by God or purified by God in some way. There's no debate over that. The debate is over how, where, and when. Within Catholic theology, if you are saved, not really language that they would use too much, but it, but it works. If you are going to go to heaven, if you are in Christ, if you are in the, under the grace of Christ, so to speak, the belief is that for most people, you will be purged in a in a state of being before Christ returns, it, it doesn't even have to be a place. We, we often think in terms of place, but, but, but you will undergo a purgation process before Christ returns, before you go into heaven. So it's important to understand this in Catholicism, that if you are going to hell, you don't go to purgatory. You just go to hell. Purgatory is, is, is only for those who are going to go to heaven or be in the full, what they would call beatific vision of God someday. And this is just the process of being purged before it 
happens. And yes, in Catholic theology, they'll say that you can pray for people in purgatory and let your merits count towards them and help them along the process of, of their purgation and things like that. Protestants have historically rejected that by and far. Protestants have said, yes, there is a purgation that needs to happen, but that that purgation happens basically the moment we come face to face with Christ. So that when we die, we are brought into Christ's care and that purgation of our sin has happened already. And certainly when Christ comes again, it, it, it's, it's like a flash fire purifying, if you want to think about it that way, if you need an image or a metaphor or something like that, it's you changed, you transformed. You don't have to go through days and days or weeks and weeks or months or months or, or, or eons and eons of time of having it purged. So that's what it's rooted in. And those are some of the different beliefs about it. Um, basically, what I'll do is sum this up as going, I believe, because they asked me, that if you are in Christ, when you die, you go to heaven. When Christ comes again, your body will be raised, your soul and body will be reunited, and you will live in eternity in the new heavens, new earth with him. All right. Which I think <clears throat> some people would have the idea that <laughs> you die, and then we have to wait till judgment day. And on judgment day, then you find out whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Yeah, and that's a messed up uh, version of it. Right. 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 Yeah, you know before judgment day what's going to happen. I kind of like to, to, to re-spool judgment day. Um, how, how would it change your thinking about it if we didn't call it judgment day, but we called it reward day? Props day. Props day. Like, nice job, Ken. I loved what you did on this. Like, this was perfect. Thank you. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. finally going to get the rewards. <laughs> right. You know, for for what you did and how you lived and and, and what God wants to well, bestow and, that's, that's and honor biblical. you with. That's yeah, biblical. it was absolutely biblical. I mean, so it's, yeah. so it's uh, we're going to receive rewards. But doesn't it change your entire perception of what that day is about if you just use a different yeah. word? Yeah. Sorry, then I guess a question from that would be, would non-believers go through Judgment Day or no? Oh, everyone goes yeah. to Judgment Day, okay. but, you know... Not everybody gets there. What I'm doing is, is judgment has a very negative connotation. So you always think about it in terms of bad. So what's it mean for a believer? Yeah. Well, I've just cast it in terms of being good, which then brings up the equal and opposite question of, well, what happens to the unbeliever, right? Yeah, no, and, and you get your quote reward, you know, or your wage, just, you know, what yeah. you've earned, right? The wages of sin is death. You, you finally inherit or are paid for what you have worked towards. Should we worry if he's laughing when we get there? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Kind of depends on the laugh, oh. wouldn't you say? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Jubilation, terror, yeah. yeah. One thing I had, a uh, question came up as you were answering that last one, um, that hell is immediate. Um, what happens after the second? Well, month? just possibly like Easter, hell is an Anglo-Saxon word. <laughs> so, yes. right. so, so I'm not going to let you use the word hell. Okay. Um, I would say in lieu in lieu of purgatory, then you said believers go to heaven, unbelievers go to hell until judgment day when there's the new heavens and the new earth. Is there a new hell then? Or concept of hell? Uh, yes. Like, yes. does that also get 
recreated, if you will. I mean, and again, we're talking about a symbolic book here, but Revelation (laughs) literally says that hell get or Hades gets thrown into the lake of fire. So while there's a recreation of heaven, so to speak, there does seem to be an eternal but recreated version, however we're supposed to understand it, of eternal punishment and judgment as well. And most people see it as an eternal conscious state of some kind. There are some who go, no, maybe it's figurative for just like annihilation. You cease to exist or something like that. And I don't want to get into that too much. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, there, there's this idea that there, there is a state of being in which we will exist before judgment day. And that state of being, for those of us who have died, is separated from our bodies right? You are disembodied. Second um, Corinthians five will actually use a metaphor to describe you as being naked. You're no longer clothed in your body and you're waiting to get some clothes again. The Protestant perspective though, in that state is that it is good. It is bliss. It is better by far. It is what we can call heaven in the general sense of the way that we use the term. But the mistake a lot of Christians and non-Christians make is they think that's the final state, which biblically it's not. The final state is a resurrection. And uh, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. And so the the flip side to that would be the negative state of being for those who are not in Christ, but also waiting for a resurrection and the final, shall we say, rewards and quotes of Judgment Day. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. All right. Good question. Uh, let's see. What's the difference between man before the flood and man after the flood? Uh, Jesus grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Genesis six, five verses six. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and actually the other, uh, the question asker, uh, plugged it here. Thanks for the question, Gene. Um, the nature of your question, I'm, I'm getting the sense is you're wondering if there's something substantially different between a pre-flood person and a post-flood person and probably not as substantial as you think there is a field of theology called biblical anthropology anthropology we all know what this field is it's how do you understand like what what humans are right and biblical anthropology will look at basically four different stages of humanity in god's scheme before the fall after the fall after christ's first coming, and then after Christ's second coming. There is certainly a continuity between what it means to be human in all four of those stages, but there does seem to be distinctions or also discontinuities between what a perfect pre-fall human is like versus one corrupted by sin after the fall. That seems like a no-brainer to us, right? Well, I think it's also arguably arguable to say that when you're being reborn in the Holy Spirit, there's also going to be something substantially different in someone's soul um, and someone's being of what it means to be human in that new life in Christ now, right? And we know that that's not brought to completion yet and that at the resurrection, we're going to be transformed in some new kind of way. Still a continuity with who we are, but something different then. So I would encourage you, Gene, to think about the differences in humanity in those four blocks more than pre-fall and post-fall. There doesn't really seem to be a difference between, or or, excuse me, pre-flood and post-flood. Humanity pre-flood and humanity post-flood is really the same kind of humanity. Noah and his family was simply chosen because they were viewed to be more righteous than other people, but same, still the same kind of fundamental 
people uh, just to have chosen God and live differently. Yeah. You know, I read an article the other day that <clears throat> their idea was is that it was Adam and Eve's DNA that had a there was a breakdown in the DNA that they had a gene in there that was the sinful gene. And so, therefore, that's why we've inherited sin still to this day. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like that, but 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 I think it, it stops too far short. I would agree because I don't think it's about isolating the sin gene, but rather all of our genes have become corrupt. That our entire essence has been corrupt and fallen. That's why they call it the fall. We are far less than what God made us to be as human beings because of the corruption that's overtaken us in every conceivable way. And that's actually what the reformers mean by the term total depravity. It doesn't mean that you are completely 100% evil. It means that every aspect of you has become depraved in some way or corrupt mm -hmm. in some way. Has the potential for. Well, not only the potential, but is. is yeah. 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 So that, that I am not in any conceivable way untainted by sin. Yeah. Yeah. My mind, my will, my emotions, my body, my faith. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. We had, I don't remember what, how this came up. Oh, I, I think when we were studying in Ecclesiastes and I, I don't remember exactly what the concept was, but as we were just talking about, like every aspect of us is tainted by, by sin or <coughs> destructive or evil or all of that. Um, what came out in Ecclesiastes was the idea that there can be no good apart from God or I, I don't even, I don't even remember if that was specifically. Yeah. You'd somewhere. have to give a chapter and verse on that. I'm, I'm yeah. curious what you're referring to. Um, but I think that's a concept that you, we hear a lot in church. Like we can do nothing good without God. There isn't any good without God. Um, humans are only capable of evil apart from God. Um, so I guess wondering what your thoughts are on that in regards to saying that our entire self is, is tainted by sin. Does that remove the capacity for good or, yeah, I don't, I don't, well, what, well, it's kind of like the the, the that, that, that literally that is the from. big theological debate. Yeah, because I'll tell you what I think, but I don't want to make one position representative for all Christianity. Like like Catholicism, for example, says no, there is a capacity for good. We we all are dependent on God's grace in some level, but there is a capacity for good, and you can recognize good for what good is. Luther, Calvin, you know, more of those kind of reform movements. Uh, they, they, they were very reactionary against that. They were very, uh, they would, they would talk in these, 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 these hyperbolic ways, you know, these over these, these big ways of going without good, without God, there is no good without God. It's impossible to do good without God. Well, at some level, I actually agree with them. I, I think we're completely dependent on God, but I think it gets misconstrued to think that I sit around passively and until God kind of like zaps me, animates me or makes me do something that I don't have capacity to do something good. I also think it's a little binary to talk about good and evil. Um, I do believe that everything that we do that is good is tainted in some level by sin so that no one ever does 100% good. But at some level, it's just unhelpful to talk that way. You, you know, we, any fool can recognize what's good and what's evil without having to get 90 miles deep into it, sifting every nuance and motive going, well, was it completely good? Was every motive pure? No, of course not. But we can still look at something and going, that was good. That was not. Yeah. And that was, I think one of the things that we 
remembered after the fact that Ecclesiastes is largely written in poetry form. So it is using some of those extreme examples and that extreme language of nothing and never and always and those types of things. It was like, okay, yeah, is this, is this how it's worded to kind of make a point versus like the exact wording. And, and I'd love to see what, what passages you're thinking about, but yeah, one of I'm the biggest misunderstandings here. in Ecclesiastes is the key refrain. And the key refrain is often translated meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And if that's what your translation is doing, I encourage you to look at some other translations. The Hebrew word behind it is pronounced hevel. And it's actually the same word where Abel, you could hear Abel, Hevel, kind of, sort of, uh, that, that's what his name means. And it doesn't mean so much like meaningless as much as it means like mist-like. Um, temporary, transient. Um, it's the idea of like smoke going up. It's just, you, you see it, it's there, but it's, it just kind of blows away. There's nothing of substance here. There's nothing of lasting value here. There's nothing per, of permanency here. And so it's hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. That everything without God is at some level temporary, transient, like trying to grasp at smoke. You know, it just kind of slips through your fingertips, whether that be wealth or whether that be, um, you know, uh, notoriety or whether that mean success or whether that be um, happiness or whether that be pleasure. You know, it's all just kind of, you know, you could see where they get the meaningless idea, mm -hmm. but it, but it's taking it a little too far. Yeah. And I think it brings up yeah, some. I, uh, I found the, the verses here that brought got? this up. Uh, it's chapter 224. A person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Um, so that idea of without God, who can find enjoyment and who can find joy in anything? Who can, I, I think we extrapolated it out to do good or find anything good in life. Um, and that was kind of that idea of, okay, is this is this talking about in extremes to get the point across? Because someone without God can enjoy something in their life. Like that is absolutely possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, yeah, the point that the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is making um, traditionally ascribed to Solomon, but who knows is, is, is fundamentally let, let's, let's, let's put ourselves in Solomon's shoes. Let's say it's Solomon just for the sake of argument. Here he is. He has got wealth beyond belief. He's got success beyond belief. He's got power beyond belief. He's got the blessing of God behind, uh, upon him in every material way. He has got, been given wisdom by God in every conceivable way. And he's looking at it all and realizing it's all temporary. It's all here today, gone tomorrow. And it doesn't mean it's bad, but what he does is he kind of goes through all of these aspects of life making this comment going, we, we slave and we work and we toil for this. And at the end of the day, what does it produce? But then on the other hand, he goes, all we do is eat and drink and be merry. And yet what good comes from that as well? And, and what it leads you to is a realization that in, in life, in this world, in reality, without God, everything is temporary. Everything that people chase after in life. Yeah, it may bring you pleasure for a moment. It may bring you meaning for a moment. But without God, it's hevel. It just disappears. The only place you will find lasting permanency. And with it, the joy that God brings is fundamentally in him. Yeah. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great question.
Um, I said I wanted to get to this one in last week. Steve wasn't here. The week <clears> before that, you weren't here. Um, so I think quick discussion altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, it says this is a question more for Steve. Do you think that marijuana is a gateway? And drug? I know you guys did this a couple weeks ago, yeah. right? Do you right. think that people try it uh, and then it escalates to try even worse and stronger things like cocaine or fentanyl? And what would be your advice to young adults regarding trying some of these? I things? loved listening to you guys navigate this. It was what yeah. two weeks ago, I want to say. Um, yeah, yeah, it was cool hearing your story and just thanks for putting that out on the line. And I know you do that, but uh, yeah. So what did you want to reopen on this? If if you had any thoughts, any additions to add anything else like that, we have like four minutes. They so. sent in, the, <clears throat> they didn't like my answer. So they're like, can you give a more holy answer? <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, we want uh, God's answer. So. <laughs> well, then let me go ahead and answer this for you. Got a direct line. Yeah. <laughs> Apologize for my answer. I was high. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I loved how you answered this, Steve, and I think you're spot on, is do you think – here's the question. Do you think marijuana is a gateway drug? It could be, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean it is, yeah. and it's like so many other things in this world. What has the capacity to derail one does not necessarily derail another. At some fundamental level, marijuana is a gift of God. It's part of his creation, and it can be used to his glory. The problem of sin is what it does is it takes gifts of God, and it abuses them. It distorts them. It uses them to false ends. It, 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 it does evil with them. Um, and, and do people do that with marijuana? You better believe people do that with marijuana. Does everyone do that with marijuana? No way. No way. So, so, so marijuana isn't the issue. It's what you do with it what it causes you to do, what it leads you to do. And then as Jesus would say, being aware of where your propensities to sin are in life. And if you have those propensity, avoiding them at all costs. Yeah. So I think uh, we bring that up because we're afraid of the word addiction and we don't fully mm -hmm. understand addiction. As, As we said earlier in the show, we get scared of things that we don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And addiction is a horrible disease that that a lot of things are coming out. Now we're starting to understand better, but um, you and I could go to a party and smoke a bong and you go home and you're like, well, that was weird. All right. And I'm like, "Woo! I need more because all of a sudden I'm addicted. People do that with alcohol. They do it with, you know, um, cocaine, whatever, um, people get a gateway drug prescribed to them that leads to heroin use. Mm-hmm. So uh, saying a gateway, is, is marijuana a, a gateway drug? It all depends on the person and if, if they have the propensity for addiction, I think. And because I've known a lot of people who, hey, not a problem. And I've known a lot of people who are oh, big problem. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I think I think that the, the true question is, uh, you know, what we're trying to steer away from is is addiction, and you know, it, you just you just don't know what's going to trip somebody up. I also would add to that too that, as far as you you, you mentioned, like pre- prescription drugs. I know people that are on prescription drugs that probably don't even need to be on prescription drugs, but it's, is it having an effect on them physically, mentally? Yeah, for sure. Is there an also a placebo effect that it's really not necessarily medicating what they want it to, Mm -hmm. but it's making them feel like, well, as long as I take this, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. There's another point Mm -hmm. to this, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
by the way, going back to smoking a bong, you don't smoke a bong. I know. You hit the bong. You hit it. Just in case you're at a party and someone asks, you're like, you want to hit this? Don't actually punch right. it. Right. <laughs> and of course, you're, gonna, you're not going to be the favorite person at the party anymore. And, <laughs> and of course, the number one pusher over at Fellowship of Faith, uh, Melinda Putnam, says a cookie's a gateway drug. <laughs> well, but you, you know, and, and this is the thing. We, we, I think we've done a better job of expanding right. our idea of addiction beyond like alcohol and yes, nicotine yes. and drugs. Yeah. Um, and and I, we, we've started to understand things like gambling and porn and maybe even shopping mm. a little bit. Yep. Um, but but you think maybe of the amount money, of people. work, intelligence, anything yep. taken to an extreme. Exactly. The amount of people who are food addicts or mm. sugar addicts or mm. carb addicts or whatever you want to call them. The amount of people that are caffeine addicts. And it's viewed as being socially acceptable because the immediate effect is not something like a drug that is either going to hospitalize you or uh, put you into an altered state, but like caffeine, it makes you more productive, right? So, okay, that's a good one. But anytime you're enslaving yourself to something, you are, uh, you are fundamentally walking away from what God desires. God is a God of freedom. And to enslave ourselves to the things of this world is fundamentally spiritually dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've hit the end of the show. And we've actually gotten through a lot of our inbox here today yeah. um there's never existed a time in humanity that we've gotten through the entire inbox and if we haven't gotten through it we will get to it on next shows but hey a couple of things before we break first thanks for listening second remember you can catch past episodes on your favorite uh podcast provider spotify apple whatever it happens to be just search for questions you never thought you could ask in church uh number three um, visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Again, fellowshipoffaith.org. Visit our FOF Plus page. You can find this and other video and audio archives that we have available there if they're beneficial to you. Fourth, if you don't have a church home and you're looking for a place to worship this season, there is no better time and date to start than Easter Sunday. So I just kind of want to encourage you that um, uh, you, you find a church, you choose, you choose to worship with a body, maybe you've been out of church for a long time, give it a chance again. Um, um, find a good place in your area and connect. And if you're up in the area of, of McHenry, Illinois, maybe with Fellowship of Faith, you could find us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Again, you can text your questions in 24-7 to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. God's blessings to you. May, be, may the death, the resurrection of Jesus transform your life. May you come to understand it. May you come to believe it. May you come to find life in it and life in him. God bless. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.